steps begins right here on my knees soon I'll soar like an eagle high on wings of grace far into the heavens where I can almost see Rising in His splendor To heights I never knew What once looked like a mountain's just a hill From heaven's point of view I may face things tomorrow I can't comprehend today Circumstances so uncertain Make it hard to find the strength to pray But I'm living in the promise He'll never leave me, He will always see me through. So what's this mountain to an eagle flying high from heaven's point of view? Soon I'll soar like an Looks like a mountain's just a hill 
from heaven's point of view. What once looked like a mountain's just a hill from heaven's point of view. powerful words in that song and uh, I know that they touched your heart the way it touched mine. I want to speak this morning on the subject of when change comes, when change comes and I want to go ahead and kind of start into the uh, introduction part before we read and this morning instead of standing when we read we're going to remain seated because I'm going to read several verses and kind of set this, this story up. But a lot of times we wonder about change and if change is needed or if it's necessary. And sometimes, you know, life can, there's, can be a reoccurring set of things happening. You say, well, man, something's got to change. <laughs> something's got to change around here. Or we may say, boy, I tell you, we've just got to, we've got to change this. We've got to change something. Then sometimes change can be welcomed. Uh, we can, we can like change. Uh, change can be unwelcomed, and uh, sometimes we we don't like change. You know, and our and uh, our nation changes, when our culture changes, when ideas change, uh, what people call sin can change. Uh, thank the Lord, God never changes, and His Word has never changed. It remains the same. So that's awesome. You know, you've got a solid foundation when you deal with the Lord. You think about that song, and I thought about it from, from my sermon. I was thinking, you know, from heaven's point of view, to us it's a big change, but to God it's not but a hill. It's just a small bump in the road. But it looks may look like an overwhelming obstacle in our life, and we can be uh, caught off guard. We can be bombarded. So change can definitely throw us for a loop. But there was... Uh, some change that needed to happen in our text in Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 1. We'll read these and we'll have a word of prayer. But follow along with me. We're going to talk about for this change to happen, if you want change to happen in your life, necessary change, godly change, biblical change, if you want this to happen in your life, there's two questions you need to ask yourself this morning. We'll get to those in just a second. The words of Nehemiah, <clears throat> the son of Hakaliah, and it came to pass in the month of Chislu, in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, the palace, that Hananiah, Nani, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the capacity or captivity, excuse me, and concerning Jerusalem. So he is getting an update from back home. How things back home? And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days, and fasted, 
and prayed before the God of heaven and said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God, and that means terrifying, that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open, that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now, day and night. That tells you he didn't just pray one time, did he? For the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee. Both I and my father's house have sinned. We have dealt very corruptly against thee, and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments, which thou commandest thy servant Moses. Remember, I beseech thee the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If you transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if you turn to me and keep my commandments and do them, though there were of you cast out in the uttermost part of heaven, yet will I gather them from thence and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. Now these are thy servants and thy people whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand. O Lord, I beg you, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper, I pray thee. Thy servant this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. For I was the king's cupbearer. Father, I thank you for this time to share about when change happened in the life of Nehemiah. In Jesus' name, amen. Two questions, beginning especially with the last verse, he said, for I was the king's cupbearer. The two questions that you need to ask yourself this morning are this. Who are you? And what breaks your heart? Who are you? And what breaks your heart? Whenever you can answer these two questions... And I mean, let that soak into your heart and your life and your mind, your soul this morning. Who are you and what breaks your heart? So many times we lose sight of who we are. You know, and I could stand up and say, number one, of course, I'm a sinner saved by grace. I am pastor of Promised Land Missionary Baptist Church. I am husband to Karen. I'm a father of three. But I am still a broken sinner before an almighty God. I'm just a cupbearer. I'm just a cupbearer before a king. That's all you and I are. I am just a cupbearer before a king. And we know who's king we're talking about. King Jesus. And looking at our outline as we go through this, and I think about who we are, 
and what breaks our heart this morning, the very the thing that rings out is that <clears throat> I, before I can do anything, I, let's just go back to the beginning. How did you get saved? You had to realize, you had to ask yourself this question. And it's phrased a little bit differently when you got saved. Who am I? Who are you? You're a sinner. Before you got saved, you had to say that. Now you might not have said it with these lips, but you, you realize something was wrong. I have sinned. I fall short of God's glory. And then, you know, what breaks my heart? Well, when you're under conviction to be saved, and I'm going to preach hard this morning, okay? But my boy, I've got sinus congestion, so if I get to squeaking, y'all don't laugh too loud, okay? And uh, just, just you can chuckle. That's fine. If I see your shoulders bouncing, I know it's okay. All right, so, so let's get back to preaching. Who am I? I'm a sinner. Right when you first start in your relationship with the Lord, and then what breaks your heart? What's messing with your heart? Well, if you, when you were saved, you were under conviction. You were tore up inside. You realized you were a sinner. And you're thinking about it. And you're wondering what's going on in my life. I have to realize before any change can happen. The Bible says when you got saved, you became a new creature in Christ Jesus. You got saved. And this change, it doesn't happen um, any real change, any lasting change doesn't happen on your own because that's temporary. Uh, such as, you know, trying to break a habit. That sometimes is temporary. You can fall back into a habit. But real change, for real change to happen, how must it happen? I must realize that if I'm going to trade anything, if I'm going to change anything in my life, the Lord must do it. You know, and so I've got to think about that. Who are you this morning? You must realize, number one, that you are a sinner. If you realize that you are a sinner, number one, that's when God has you ready. That's how, that's when you got saved. I'm a sinner. I need Him. Did you know that now some people, matter of fact, uh, uh, if you see my camper top from old truck, which I don't need anymore. I don't know why. Fella came yesterday and <clears throat> from Camden. He drove over. I gave him the measurements. He said, I think it'll fit my Dodge Dakota. I said, I don't think it'll fit your Dodge Dakota. He, had, he didn't take my word for it. He said, I think it will. Then he came over. It didn't fit. Well... I started witnessing to him. His name's Gary. He didn't give me his last name. And uh military guy. And uh I said, You go to church anywhere, Gary? No, no, I'm I'm not for organized religion. And uh I said, Well I'm not either. And uh, I don't like to organize religion. All we do is point people to Jesus. You know, we're a church. He said, church is organized religion. He said, I said, no, a church is just an assembly of believers following Jesus Christ. And religion is people, my, and I said this, I said, my definition of religion is people trying to get to God. 
But we're just people thankful that God tried to get to us. There's a big difference. Religion is us trying, people trying to get to God. Christianity is God getting, trying to get to us. And He did that through His Son. That, isn't that cool? But I, and I couldn't get Him, I couldn't get Him lost. He wouldn't admit He's a sinner. He wouldn't admit, you know, and I, I, I but I, I can see, and you just have to pull back sometimes when people throw up roadblocks and say, and I, I pulled back and he kept throwing up roadblocks and do not enter signs and all the above. I said, okay, okay. But at least I tried and I, but I'm a sinner. That's the only, that's the way I got saved. That's the way you get used by God is to say, I'm a sinner. You, I mean, so many times in our life we wonder why things go wrong and why things break down. Why do marriages struggle? Because we're sinners. Why even, even if it we're all saved in here, which I seriously doubt, it'd be great. But I'm sure there's somebody in this room that's lost. You're not saved. You've never, you may think you're saved. You may wonder if you're saved. But the Bible says you can know that you're saved. But before anything can happen in your life, you must realize that you're a sinner. I have sin. I have a problem inside the only book that's ever, and we went over this yesterday with Mr. Gary, and the only book that's ever been written that deals with the problem of sin is the book you hold in your hands. It's the only one. You can look at the Book of Mormon. You can look at the the Koran. You can look at the Hindu book. You can look at the Buddhism book. You can look at whatever other book. There's only one book. And there's only one religion, way, whatever, that has a son that died for mankind. For the sin of mankind. And by the way, and we know this, there's only one way into heaven. Next thing, so who who are you? First of all, you must realize if you're saved this morning, you know already I am a sinner. But you also must realize I am a servant. I am a servant. Now, in your outline, I put two questions. And uh, the first question is, who do I serve? And then for whom do I serve? Who do I serve? And then for whom do I serve? Both, every one of us in this room have that in our life. You work for someone. You serve someone. And then, uh, then also, who do you wait on? Who do you serve? You work for somebody. You work under somebody. Every one of us have somebody that's over us. So, and then also we have people who do we serve? God calls us all to be servants. Not only under Him, but to serve others. We're to lift each other up. We're to, to encourage one another. And if I realize this, who are you? I am a servant of Jesus Christ. That's what we need to say. I'm a sinner saved by grace. Who are you? I'm a sinner saved by grace and a servant of Jesus Christ. And I serve, and I want to be your servant. I serve under Him, and I want to serve you. Because why? Because God called me to. God called me to love you. Isn't that great? If we all love each other, lift each other up, serve one another, encourage one another. 
So the answer to the first question. Now I can say, yeah, I'm a pastor. I am a husband. I am a father. But above all of that, I'm a sinner and I'm a servant. That's it. I serve under Jesus and I'm supposed to serve you. We're supposed to serve each other. And then the next thing that I want to deal with, just two questions. Who are you and what breaks your heart? I've got a lot of favorite verses in the Bible. And Psalm 34, 18 is definitely one of my favorites. It says this, The Lord is nigh, that means next to or near, unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. In your outline, I think I put God is close to them that are of a broken heart, but God uses those who He is closest to. I like that. God wants to use you. So I must have a broken heart. Now, before I I get there, I may jump around a little bit, but let me ask you this question. You say, well, my heart's broken. My heart's broken about uh, the United States, the condition we're in. My heart's broken about young people. Well, young people, they're just, uh, just, just just going nuts today, you know, but... You know, you could name a bunch of things that may be uh, whatever ideas about my heart's broken. But let me ask you this. Does your heart break for what breaks God's heart? Is your heart breaking for what breaks God's heart? Is the same thing that breaks God's heart breaks your heart about sin, my own life, your own life, my, my prayer life, my Bible reading, Our church, do we need revival? So the Bible says the Lord is near, nigh, next to them that are what? Of a broken heart. And He wants to use you to do His will. Many times we can be upset over superficial things and like I was mentioning just a little, we could get, our heart could be broken over a building, the color of the carpet, uh, uh, what someone's wearing, uh, styles of music, styles of this. But folks, God is, does not care, does not care about the superficial. He does not care at all about it. What is He interested in? First Samuel? Just uh, go back a little bit in your Bible. 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 7. God doesn't care about superficial things. He's got bigger things on His mind. 1 Samuel 16, 7, this famous verse. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance, talking about David, or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him for the Lord, talking about all of the big brothers, for I have refused him for the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh upon the heart. 
So God is not interested in the, you know, you could say, well, he's interested for you to be clothed and covered up. He's interested in, he doesn't want, you know, our ladies up here uh, showing more skin than they got clothes on. Okay. He's not interested in that as much as he is your heart. He knows if he can get to your heart, the rest will follow. You'll cover up more skin, so on, so on, so on and so forth. But so many times we get to concentrating, we see, oh, they're, 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 I don't like the way they look. I don't like what they wear. I don't like that song. I don't like this carpet. I don't like this paint color. I don't like this layout of this building. I don't like what his idea is. I don't like what her idea is. But folks, we ought to be interested in people's heart first and foremost. Why? Because God is. First thing that pops into our brain, how's your relationship with God? How's your prayer life? You know, you can get caught up. It's so easy because we live in a superficial world. We live in a world that's caught up in appearances, that's caught up in our hour. And we, I mean, admit it. We must admit it. Remember, before God can use us, we've got to admit who we are. And most of us are creatures of what we like. And we want the world to match us. But I'd rather that we match God match his pattern live for him what breaks your heart this morning and does what breaks god's heart break your heart our heart may not be broken because we may have a cold heart in luke 18 verse 10 jesus dealt with some with some tough people and uh, this is one of those things, Luke 18, verse 10. Two men, he's telling this uh, story, this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not as other people are, other men are. <clears throat> extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even... Hey, I'm so glad I'm not like that IRS tax agent right over there. (laughs) Especially this time of the year. I don't want to be like him. I'm not a politician. Then he goes on to say, man, I fast twice in the week. Yeah, he's probably skipping one meal and drinking a slim fast. That's what he's probably doing. He's so excited. And I tithe of all that I possess, except the Pharisees, you know what they would do? They would exclude all this other stuff for the tithe. They said, well, this is dedicated for this, so that gets excluded. So I'm just, I just have to tithe the dollar because that's really all that counts. They would do that. A whole other parable and story. The publican standing afar off. He was standing out there in this courtyard right out here. We got this courtyard right out here in between the old building and this new building. Even though this new building's pretty old, but you know, he's standing out. He wouldn't even come into church. He's standing out there, he's praying, and he's sitting himself and he says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And he's just begging for forgiveness. Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified. Rather than the other, for everyone that exalteth himself 
shall be abased. Folks, if you put yourself above other people, God will lower you. If you lift yourself above other, God will take care of lowering you. But if you go ahead and humble yourself, God will lift you. That's pretty cool. It's taught in several places in God's Word. <clears throat> One last scripture. So hopefully our heart, which heart would you rather have in this story? Which heart, would? which one was broken? Well, it wasn't the Pharisee. <laughs> it was the publican's heart was broken. He was right with God. In Mark chapter 3 and verse 1, still speaking about a broken heart. This morning... Now, after I've finished dealing with this passage, and y'all are doing good, we got, man, i got to hurry up. I know y'all's stomachs is rumbling. You know, daylight savings time hadn't caught up with your stomach. Nobody told your stomach to move forward, did it? <laughs> okay, I know, so y'all are thinking already about all this. And as soon as we do this, as soon as we're fisting to have a hymn of invitation, I'm just getting you ready because I want you to think, before you leave this room, and you may have already done it. Ask yourself the two questions. What are they? Who are you? What breaks your heart? It's um, between you and God. Just y'all, you and God. Who are you? And what breaks your heart? Jesus' heart was broken in this scene. Mark 3, verse 1. He entered again into the synagogue. There was a man that had a withered hand. They, who's the they? The Pharisees, the Sadducees, all the religious people. All the people that thought they were better than everybody else. They watched him. Who's him? Jesus. Whether he would heal on the Sabbath day, going to break one of our rules. We got rules, Jesus. Jesus said, I don't care about your rules. Y'all know, he, he, he says, you make the commandments of men into doctrines. And he said unto the man that had the withered hand, stand forth. And he said unto them, Is it lawful or right to do good on the Sabbath day or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they held their peace. Jesus knows what they're thinking. So God gives us insight into what Jesus is thinking. I love verse 5. Verse 5 is what? God giving us insight into what Jesus is thinking. What does it say? And when he, who's he, Jesus, looked round about on them with anger. And that was righteous anger. Man, y'all just don't get it, do you? He just, he's gritting his teeth. You just don't get it, do you? Because what's the next phrase? Being grieved for the hardness of their heart. Let me ask you real quick. This doesn't take a bunch of country boy logic right here. Was their heart broken? No. 
Because all they could see was somebody that they thought didn't deserve anything and Jesus who didn't deserve to do anything. But Jesus said, hey, I'm not here to follow your rules. I'm here. Hey, Jesus only came for one reason. To do the will of the Father and God sent him to save you. He wasn't interested in man's rules. But you know what I can guarantee you? I can guarantee you, brother. I can guarantee you, brothers and sisters, he's interested in your heart. He's interested in your heart. He wants to live there if he's not already there. And maybe he's there, and I've used this analogy before. If there's somebody here this morning as we get ready for a hymn invitation, as Brother Norman and our musicians get ready, you may be saved this morning. But uh, a part of this, and Jesus is in the house. But you know what? Some of y'all have put him in the choir closet. <laughs> He's not in the podium of your heart. He's not in the st- steering wheel. He's not in the driver's seat. You done booted him out. Yeah, I know you can't lose your salvation. He's still in your heart. But you done put him in the closet. You said, Jesus, let me drive for a while. Is he still there? Yeah, he's still in your heart, but who's driving? And we make a mess out of things when we're in control. You're still saved, but you're not letting him break your heart and guide you and lead you. Greatest prayer you can pray this morning, Lord, break my heart for what breaks yours. Father, I just thank you for this time and opportunity. If there's somebody here that needs to just come pray at the altar, whatever you may be leading them to do, it's it's now just between us and you. Thank you for your holy word. In Jesus' name, amen.